Joseph Gibson here, podcasting here, understanding the times of today, restoring our republic, with our republic here, representatives of our republic, our lawful de jure government that we do every Tuesday, and we like to interact with our government, and you can, you have your republic here, your republic has been re-inhabited, your lawful republic. Jim, I'm going to turn it over to the republic, the floor is yours, thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Good evening, America. Welcome to Restoring Our Republic. Tonight we are really blessed to uh, have a, a wonderful brother in arms, Christian brother, one of the one of the originals that helped get us to where we are today. And it is appropriate, being that uh, it's that time of year. Thanksgiving just passed, Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, lots of holiday season being celebrated, and a lot of that is. Also, because we came from somewhere, we're privileged tonight to have many of us old-timers together tonight to kind of catch up and reminisce with Robert Zulamaga. Good evening, Robert. How are you tonight, sir? Well, good evening, Jim, and all the rest of my brothers and sisters in the Republic. What a blessing to be invited to the call. Just uh, It's been a very long time. You know, the first time I remember hearing your voice, Robert, was on the Republic Radio News Network. I think that's what it was called way back in the day. It was back in the day when Joseph was starting up his broadcast and starting to reach out to people and Roger Waters and Governor Henning. So many of us were coming together and getting to know each other. And, and just like today, so much of us just a voice. But uh, you and I had a chance to meet, break bread together, and test each other's spirits. And it was a privilege back then, although it was. Uh, it was a shame it had to be at a brother's funeral. Man, it was astute at uh, beating the de facto at their own game, and he paid for it his life. But uh, the story of Judge Bill is another story. But, uh, Robert, tell us a little bit about your past and, and how you got to be the voice of, or known as the voice of the American Republic back in the day. Phoenix, Arizona is uh, where Ground Zero was for me back in the day. The then President James Timothy Turner was going around the nation developing something which was a predecessor to the Republic, and that was serving notice on all of the, the de facto governors around the country, giving them the option to either come into alignment with the organic constitutional republic or to resign. I remember back in those days, maybe some of you remember in your states, but I remember, I think it was Oregon changed their logo for their corporations back to the original logo they had. There was four or five markers. I honestly can't remember what they all were, but we were getting this expectancy of, oh, my goodness, the de facto is listening to us. Uh, maybe we're going to see this change, you know. But they didn't. It was just uh, lip service for the most part, or total. They just simply ignored what our efforts were back then. And I don't know how many of you remember, but at the time, and I apologize, some of the names I may forget. But so I remember at that time in Arizona, I was being asked to go and be the ambassador for the Midwest region, and I went out to I think it was Oklahoma. We had a gathering of the folks there, and they elected their local officials, and we started that whole process. I think that was the last leg 
in getting representation uh, across all the areas around the country. So um, that was pretty exciting. And then everything then changed from everything that was – do you remember what it was called, Jim, with the uh, Serving All the Governors? What was that organization called? RAP, Restore America Program. The Restore America Program, that's right. So that kind of fell away, and then President Turner was making the rounds across the country, gathering interest in us getting a functional House and Senate, putting justices in place. And I think what I was left with in terms of frustration was that the sheriff's office in each county was the final authority in the law. And we simply couldn't get any traction in the judicial aspect of what we were doing in the Republic at that time to have any teeth in what we were doing. And there was a, there was one, one sheriff, sheriff, what was his name out of Arizona? Sheriff Mack. Sheriff Mack, that's the guy, Sheriff Mack. And he's very constitutional and all that. But I think that's really the only sheriff we had from the de facto who kind of stood with us. And it made it really hard for us to put any teeth to the judicial aspect of our work back in those days. So I guess fast forwarding, that was one quiet November. And all of a sudden, and I'm going to say it happened in really 24 to 48 hours, we all got this compelling call to all go to E-Frame Utah as our different representatives, uh, senators and congressmen and women, to go to Ephraim for our first, uh, I guess, our first Congress. And it was amazing. People came from all over. People bummed a ride, hitchhiked, borrowed money. Other people sponsored them to come. We, we really went on a wing and a prayer. There really was, it was a shoestring budget. One of the fellows in the Republic had a warehouse building. And so he opened the doors to us. It didn't have running toilets in there, so they ended up putting porta potties or something in the back. They greeted us all at the front door. We all had to surrender our cell phones. They put them all into a big bag, basket, whatever. But then we were in lock session for at least 24 hours. I can't remember the exact timing of all that. But I'll say this in preface. So I arrived, and I go, wow, this is pretty cool. And I, we were on somebody's ranch. It was a Native American ranch, if I remember correctly. So I went in where people were gathering, and it was just a really odd, there was an odd tone, if I can put it that way. Maybe we'll call it a vibration, whatever it was. It was just odd. And I'm going, Lord, where are you? So I walked outside, and I'm standing up on a hill, and another another fellow came. He was a pastor. I honestly don't remember his name. And we just stood on the hill, and we were looking out over the horizon, and I said, do you feel this? He says, yep. I said, let's pray. So we prayed. I think he sent me over to where uh, Timothy Turner was meeting with a with a team of his. Of his. But he uh, he then assigned me to go and find congressmen, and he would find six senators, and we were to meet. So I was one of the congressmen. He says, go find five others. And so we found a team of 12 representatives 
from each house, and we became the, let's call it the edit team or whatever. We got the rough documents for the declaration of intent. They locked us in a room, and we spent hours going over word by word by word these documents. Now, I don't know where they came from. I'm suspecting Timothy Turner was the author of them, sensing, because we were never told, but I'm sensing it was it was James Timothy Turner who created the documents, and we basically refined them. And then we would go onto the floor in the warehouse, and we would go line by line through this document with all of the representatives on the floor, discussing, arguing, voting one way or another about uh, the different words that were being used and if we thought they were correct and if they were detailed and all that. I remember the biggest struggle in all of the languaging was, one, whether we would include reference to the Bible, and then if we did include reference to the Bible, would it be the King James Version? Would it be the, what was the, what was the version before King James? The, uh, the Geneva Bible. Thank you. The Geneva Bible. So we, we're, we're going backwards and forwards about whether it should, you know, we should state a particular version or not. And I think we finally settled on it would just be the Bible. And then we had a real testy environment on the floor, whether everybody was okay with that. Even back then, there was, there was not consensus of America having biblical foundations. But anyway, it passed. That was such a watershed moment back then. I don't know, for those of you who have been around a while, I think my lightning fast mind finally worked out the fact that there were interlopers amongst us. There was plants, there was whether it was FBI, CIA, whatever else. There was just folks there who didn't have our best interests at heart and who clearly wanted to tear down the work we were doing. So, you know, we've seen that sadly play out over the years. Jim, that's one of the recollections I remember. And then when we had to vote, it was just so exciting. Everybody got to form a line to sign the document, like like signing the Declaration or the the Constitution. It was really, it was a very memorable, memorable time. And then I think Kelby squirreled away the the original document with the president, and they and they went to secure place so that this couldn't be taken, stolen, whatever else. And as you know, that went on then to be presented. Was it to the Hague it got presented? Was that the next step in that process? I believe that is correct. Yeah, the Hague and the UPU at the United Nations and the Portuguese Joint Chiefs. We're all put on notice. Say, Gene, I'm, I'm guessing you would probably have direct input with uh, President Turner about that to know the history of that because I'd be interested to know. I sense it was is his doing, but I never did know for sure. Yes, I, I've been in direct contact with President Turner since he became a political prisoner and had been incarcerated, and definitely since July of 2013, and so know the story and covered the story in the second volume of the re-inhabited public for the United States of America, the story of the re-inhabitation, which Robert, you may remember, started off as a legal brief for the courts of heaven. So there was never any intention of publishing books. It was about going before God with the story of what was seen. And I understand now when President Turner was blocked from all of his leaders 
in the Republic as he was going through the de facto court system, of which he was never charged. They sentenced him for things that he wasn't, wasn't even charged for. I understand now that it, it, there was a divine appointment to be con- connected with him. And I, I was nobody, you know, I was just a worker. And so for a little gal to make connection with him and keep connection with him when they blocked him from everyone else, there was an opportunity there to learn things from him. And although he's been tight-lipped, um, this is a faithful man of God that has kept his oath, will always keep his oath, and doesn't reveal whatever he gave his word to. Through the years, and especially the last couple of years, he shared more. His part was to go around the country and gather people, and he had a following of tens of thousands. He was respected, and he taught the Constitution and the Bible, and of which the Federal Bureau of Prisons this year had had let him know that they weren't going to release him on any act that he filed for uh, because he taught the Constitution and preached Jesus Christ. So that's what he was about. And he was definitely one of the guardian elders at the beginning and then separated himself from the others because they started speaking words of danger and Tim didn't want any part of that. So Tim went forward with his leaders in an honorable sense with the original American Republic that our founding fathers gave us. Did I bring a clarity to that, Robert? You totally brought authority. And as you're speaking, I'm flashing back up the different times when we would meet. I was in, I think, uh, Nevada with him at one time, and he was he had a security detail there, and he literally couldn't show himself. I think we might have met at a at a flea market or a public market or something like that. And his peacefulness, his steely resolve, was just so so powerfully inspiring. You know, it's like if you knew, for those of you who knew him or know him, he had such courage to speak the truth. He didn't get worked up about it. He didn't get all angry or whatever else. He was very firm in his resolve, clear and articulate in understanding where we stood in the law. You know, he eventually invited me to come alongside him as one of his minister for finance. And so I stepped out of being a congressman. And just to have the opportunity to to just serve alongside this guy in a way that we just don't see. I guess I'm going to fast forward a little bit here to give you a window of where I am now. After all that, offices got raided. Janine's office got raided. We were doing stuff with our documents for our homes. Speaking of President Turner, I have a recording of President Turner, actually, about two and a half minutes, so I think it'd be pretty fitting to play it. Maybe never heard President Turner speak. You were saying he's very knowledgeable, very smart, uh, very wise. But I'm going to play this. Everybody thought we still had the same system of government that we always had because they did the change so slowly and gradually, and they never told the public. They They never told us what was going on. The government was changed without the consent of the people. And it's very clear in the Declaration of Independence that they governed by the consent. Well, then, under our system of law, for them to alter or abolish or change anything in the Constitution, they have to go to the people. They, Congress can't do that. And in 18, 
1868, when this change really started, it went from 1868 through 1882 where the primary changes were done, Congress never once asked the people what they wanted, and they had no authority to move forward. We get our authority from the Declaration, the Holy Bible, and the Constitution to move forward, and that's what we have embraced. Now, about 30 years ago, a group of people who call patriots or sovereigns, whatever the term was at the time, began to study the law. Because we'd been dumbed down. We didn't know what was going on. We had no idea what had been done to the American people. But we get, began to study and read the law. And all of a sudden, things started showing up. It's all in there. It's all recorded, but it's hidden. But when we started doing thousands, and, and many people across the country started doing studies, all of a sudden, God gave the people an interest in the law. And it was part of a, a divine movement across this nation to wake up the people of America. All of this was orchestrated by God, folks. It was not orchestrated by us. God woke the people up, and they began to study, and they began to learn that the keys, the freedom was in the law already, and we just, we just uncovered those keys, and we brought them out, and we began to use them. And we discovered that they never got our consent to do away with our republic. So everything that has been done since 1872 at the very latest, probably earlier than that, has been done without the consent of the people and therefore is unlawful. But that doesn't make it illegal. It is legal because we have given our implied consent. And implied consent works like this. If you're holding a cup of coffee and drinking a cup of coffee and I walk up to you and I take that cup of coffee away from you and you don't say no or you don't protest, whose coffee is it? It's my coffee now. But if I try to take it away from you and you don't let me have it, you, you get to keep the coffee, right? That's the way implied consent works. The people did not say no. And so the government in their legal system decided that that is okay because they didn't protest. They didn't say no. Well, the people are standing up now by the thousands across America and joining with this republic and saying no. There you go. That was President Turner right there. Back in the day. There are a number of us who were concerned about his his health, his commitment to, and his resolve were just totally lock solid. But uh, he had some body issues going on. I know there was a, some of us who gathered together to get him some supplements and stuff. Once they jailed him, does forget any of that. That's just uh, there was no possibility of of bringing that sort of thing to him. But he has left us in this process such a powerful step that God called me away from the Republic somewhere in the midst of all this. I got a phone call one day out of the blue. The question was, Robert, you've served in the Trace Dias community uh, a long time. I'd like you to pray about whether you would be willing to serve as the, as the director for the upcoming spring weekend. Well, you have to know that's a very, a very humbling invitation. For me, on my journey, I have been, you know, God humbled me in 2008. I thought I was the the king's, the king's underpants or whatever you call it. Uh, I had a lot of pieces of real estate. I was flying high. It was all going well. And then 2008 hit. And I had a 
painful experience over 10 years of losing a piece of property after piece of property after piece of property after piece of property. And finally, at about the 10-year mark, I lost my home after fighting off four foreclosures and all sorts of nonsense, bogus bank documents. So I go back to that invitation, and I'm like, wow, Lord, you are you are creating a 180-degree turn in my attention because I can't have my attention on the Republic and all of the daily work involved in that and prepare for a spiritual weekend to disciple men who are coming into a deeper relationship with your son. And I'm like, well, all right. So I prayed about it, and, and it was clear that I was called in a new direction. So he called me to that. Uh, I had the joy of having uh, our chaplain, Wade Butler, being one of my spiritual directors on that weekend. For those of you who know Wade, <laughs> he was very politically incorrect on the weekend with his walking in the authority of the Holy Spirit. It's been 10 years now, and people still talk about that weekend, about how the, the move of God was so powerful on that weekend within the structure and the parameters of the weekend. So, you know, time fast forwards. I'm starting to lose a bunch more pieces of property, and then I get my fourth foreclosure, and I had been called to Bible College back in 2015. I ended up doing it online for a number of years. And then God says, you know, Robert, if you went a little faster on your online studies, you could be on campus full-time in the fall. My heart about skipped. And uh, anyway, so five years ago, I moved up to uh, Woodland Park from, from Phoenix, uh, lost my home, sat at the foot of the cross, understanding God's word deeper. It's a Bible college that has first and second year, first year, you drink in the word. Second year, you learn what God's put inside you, and you realize that you do have a voice for the kingdom. You do have a voice and a, a witness, a testimony, if you like. So you learn how to draw out your testimony. You then go on a mission trip. We went to Ecuador, and you preach. And uh, third year, then, is specialization. You pick one of the seven mountains, and uh, where it's whenever one God's calling you to. I thought God would call me to the business mountain, but in truth, he was calling me to the government mountain. So um, I go to start a business school, and God says, no, I want you to go to practical government, and there's no more time. I went, oh, okay. So I did, and before I graduated, I was elected to a local city government, to city council, and I've served on city council now for coming up on three years. So I say that to realize that, you know, in the Republic, I had the opportunity of seeing what it was like to be in as a legislator, see what it was like to be in the halls of government, of a government that we didn't have any recognition. So now that I've served in local government and I see the games and the politics and the way that the, the legal system of the de facto system is, in a system which I raised my hand and I, unlike what they do nowadays, I placed my hand on the Bible, and they had to get a permission from the attorney to allow me to have my hand on the Bible. I mean, that's no, so what a stupid. Shame. Oh, it's just, just nuts, man. So I, I did. I, you know, it ended up being that COVID nonsense that was online. And I also had to get permission. I didn't. I didn't take the permission. I just assumed it. And I said, when I finished my oath, I said, so help me God. But you don't have to swear on a Bible. You don't have to say, so help me God nowadays. It's just like, you know, you just promise you a test. You're going to tell the truth, you know? Yeah, right. You know, 
without without God in your life, a man does not know how to tell the truth. Um, it's not in man. Man is evil. That's uh, sadly part of his nature until he comes into a personal relationship with a living God. I like your story because it's because we've been attacked lately. And Jim, Jim, this is perfect because everyone says grassroots, grassroots, and that is what the republic is and start, was. All these great people, men and women, were grassroots from the bottom up. Whether they went to the top or they stayed at the bottom or what have you, you know. And it's it's like you know that's so very important. Your story, how you how you know, and it's more how more grassroots can you get? We had you share a lot of interesting things in your journey. It just goes to to verify and confirm that this government that we're talking about, the republic, uh, is our constitutional government. But just like what uh, Benjamin Franklin said, I'll try to quote it best I can. He said, this form of government will not work for any other country in the world because it is based upon biblical principles which mandate that each and every individual must hold himself above reproach. And when we as a people look to our government to set our moral standards for us, we'll find we're no better off than anybody else in the world, unquote. And so therein is the rub. You know, I struggled having a worldview of religion and, and government and my position in that being the son of a uh, educated, uh, ordained man. It's only as I've continued my walk like you have continued yours that uh, it becomes clear as to the target, the true target, and what you've done in those arenas. I know that you were involved with uh, Womack Ministries. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about that experience? Yeah, sure. Uh, Womack Ministries, as you call it, is actually the college that I went to, the Bible college I went to, is called Karis, which is Greek for grace. So I went to Karis Bible College, and that's his campus. So Andrew Womack has been preaching the Word of God for the last 50 years. He went to the Vietnam War. He was actually called back at that time, I think maybe 1968 or something. So he was a school teacher. He could have uh, dodged the draft. But God called him, and he says, well, all right, I'm 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 quitting being a school teacher. And they said, but you can't. You're going to get drafted. He says, okay, so I get drafted to Vietnam. And he, he tells stories of being in bunkers where they're getting shelled night and day, and he's just reading his Bible, and it's all he's totally oblivious to all the stuff going around him. Anyway, you got a man who, like, in my opinion, President James Timothy Turner, has set his sights on what he's called to, and he has not deviated from it. And the benefit of that is that he has now birthed a Bible college, which has been going, when I was there, it was 25 years, so I think they're up to 28 years now. It's now creating willing soldiers to engage in the seven mountains. For those of you who are familiar with the principle of the seven mountains, there's each mountain has authority. There's the family, there's the church, there's the government, there's education, there's business, there's media, and there's the arts. And so he streamlines and has surrounded himself with quality, quality teachers, professors, disciplers of men. So anyway, it um, births then uh, leaders in the Seven Mountains to go in and and make a difference, to speak into our culture, to speak into our nation. And mine is, as I say, is government, and, and I teach constitution classes at a local church. I used to teach it at the local uh, town hall. I just recognize the biggest problem.
problem we have in people grasping the concept of the republic is they don't understand our history. They don't understand where we come from as a people. History is being rewritten on so many levels, and it's very difficult to find original writings and the original intent of what the founders had in mind. Who's this guy, Howard Zinn, or some sort of insane nonsense that that man brings out in terms of American history? It's just polluting the minds of Americans to sanitize our history, to not talk about the miracles, not talk about the God moments, not talk about divine intervention that happened time after time after time in our struggle for independence and then our keeping and holding our constitution and our representative form of government. And kids don't know a thing about it. I teach people in the classes who are in their 60s and 70s and, and they're going, I never heard this stuff. Absolutely right. People just don't get the concept of, I was talking about the Federal Reserve and money and taxes and how trade and buying American and whatnot doesn't really matter because we have a currency that is owned and operated by a foreign offshore banking cartel. And it just, it was like they got it, but they just didn't get it, you know? And I just don't know how to get over that hurdle or that hump. And I wonder if you ever had that same problem with the with the Republic and with talking to people or teaching the Bible or what have you. You can't get it, can't just get over that hump, you know? So, yes, I remember, I'm going to take you back a few steps to answer your question. I remember when we would meet in Phoenix at Hal's Surveying Shop. It was an old bank. It had been t- converted into a, a surveyor's store. And I first heard people say, Robert, you got to go and see what these people are doing. It's awesome. It was all very cloak and dagger. Nobody talked about it above you know, whispers or whatever. I'm going, why would I want to go to somewhere where people are all hush-hush about what they're doing? Why aren't you standing <laughs> on the rooftop saying this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so it is. Eventually, you know, a few weeks and months went by, and I did. I went. And and what I loved about it, it was a town hall, I will call it a town hall meeting, where people would just speak their truth. So somebody would get the microphone, and they would just speak what they knew about the sovereignty of uh, of citizenship, what they knew about God, what they knew about any aspect of what the republic is. It was like a precursor to actually organizing something, right? And I was struck by the intelligence and the wisdom, the innate wisdom of each and every person there. Somebody had something to say that was different from the next person, and they would just speak their truth out. I have to go back a little ways further to say that 30 years ago, I used to have a TV program up in Denver, Colorado, which I called We the People. See, I was raised in Australia. For 15 years of my life, I was from from 14 to you know, count the years, I was um, American, moved to Australia, so I lived outside of the country. I experienced what other types of government are like, and they don't have that palpable freedom that America has. So when I came back to America, I went, I've got to find people who can teach me about the Constitution, teach me about this form of government, because I can feel it in the air. It's that palpable. If you remember public access back in the day, the government was required to give free airtime to anybody, any yep. citizen for any reason. So I had to just find a camera crew and a lighting crew and somebody to do the editing and, you know, and somebody to, to uh, run the camera. And so I would invite 
retired military, retired police, folks who had an experience of being abused by government, violation of one of their rights. And I would just interview them. I'd go backwards and forwards, and we'd do this. And so that made the airways uh, on public access. And that was my entrance into what are the principles of liberty that we that we live and have and hold and take so much for granted. There was a strong patriot. We, we used to study Black Law's Dictionary up in Denver at that time with a with a, a group of, of patriots. And, and that city today is a den of liberalism. Don't even recognize it's the same city. So back to Phoenix, Arizona, when we were at the bank building, I would hear all of these citizens sharing from their heart what was their truth. And I thought, because because I had a background in understanding some of the principles of liberty and the principles of the Constitution, I'm going, you guys are saying exactly what we are. You're talking about what we are as a country. Why don't we get together and, and speak this out? And they kind of looked at me strange like, no, we're just yep. saying what's on our mind, you know? <laughs> and it wasn't long after that that, you know, President Turner showed up and it moved from the... Guardians of the Free Republic, remember that? Uh, and Restore America plan. Right, Restore America plan, the Guardians, that's exactly what it was, yeah. yeah. And then there was confusion in the Republic about who was who. And But anyway, President Turner then took and galvanized that body politic, if you like, and he galvanized it into organizing ourselves in the different uh, free states. And that journey, what an exciting journey. Then, you know, fast forward, lots of stuff has gone on. We see Donald Trump hit the hit the stage, and it's like, oh, my God, everything we'd hoped for is starting to play out here. This is just amazing. You know, I guess it shouldn't surprise me. The forces of death and hell and the devil are, are vicious, vicious, vicious. I have to say, in the spiritual journey that God's had me on in the last 10 years, as nasty as they are, they're just a bunch of losers. They are such a bunch of losers. And you talked about the the banking cartel. I don't know, and everybody's got a theory on where things are moving, but I tell you, this banking cartel, they can't hold their house of cards together. You know, the the fiat currency is a joke around the world. It has caused huge disrespect for us as a nation. It's destabilized. I mean, I remember back in 2008, we were selling derivatives of baloney packaged real estate contracts to the Irish, and an Irish bank was assured that these are class A, they're all, they're fabulous, whatever else, and they were all junk. Then when the market (laughs) tanked in 2008, you have other countries going, you liars, you just gave me this thing here telling me this is a good asset, and it's junk. And we've done that with the American dollar, and I I don't say we, I mean, the the bankers and the, and the, uh, the power elite have done that, and I think what I'm excited about is now they're trying to test this digital currency malarkey. You know, please, they have no understanding, or they do, and they're scared to death about it. But what the geeks put together, what Satoshi put together with a Bitcoin and where they went, they went, "Uh uh-uh, government, you screwed us once, you're not going to screw us again. And they designed a decentralized form of currency, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's going to fly or not fly. The point is, there was there is a way of conducting business outside of the eyes of these central controllers. Why do we need to have somebody know how much money I made? How how come somebody has to get between me and my dinner plate? How come the government has to get in there and put their nose into every darn thing we do? Wrong. 
just it's a huge violation. We've accepted it. People have become back to your, your question about how do you help people understand that they're being screwed. Joe, there is less than 1% of 1% of people who actually understand money. They've got a credit card or a debit card in their pocket. they got a 401k plan. They're good. Here, here's my card. Go ahead, pay for it. There's no concept of it of tying it to the exchange of their labor, no concept of tying it to the fact of, wait a minute, this is a reflection of my hard work. Why do I have to give so much of it away to all these people? Well, let me let me let me give you a different perspective on that, Robert. You know, ever since I I'll take one. Ever since I went full circle on that, the circle began to close after I learned about the Republic, and that was when. I found out from one of the 220,000 uh, participants in the class action suit brought on by retired General Royce Wessinger back in the 80s. The outcome of that was called NASARA, and that uh, was an acronym for a collapse of the banking system and uh, recompense to the farmers, and that's where Willie Nelson's farm aid was birthed, and that all revolved around. Um, an illegal corporation owns a federal land bank, and they're stealing that farm from people. So finally that circle closed, and I got an understanding of money and how all that worked at a new level. We tried to get the republic to people on board to, to re-inhabit their republic, and, and we were gaining traction. It wasn't as quick. And many people, you know, in private conversations say, well, what's going to have to happen? And understanding the SAR and what Watching what was going on on the world stage, I was convinced that the collapse of the monetary system was imminent. And I said, well, I'll guarantee you one thing. If you want to get people's attention, you got to get in their pocket. And when you get in their pocket, you've got their full attention. This thing is the, the collapse, the way it's designed, is uh, nobody's going to miss it. It's all going to affect everybody in one form or another. And there are those that have been blessed to this point. But their Bitcoin, their fictitious financial gods are collapsing. And that's got to be part of the system. There's a lot of black funds in there. It's good versus evil. So there's so much lies out there. And there's such a smoke and mirrors, you know. Um, back to the whole thing about the money system and understanding it. It is it's tragic that we have allowed ourselves for 110 years, more or less, to abdicate our right to create money as a country and give it over to these uh, these foreign bankers. It's a tragedy that people didn't even blink when that occurred. They gave them a snow job, some select members of Congress and some power elite folks get together. They play bait and switch on the co- on the floor of Congress. They do it over Christmas. They make it think like this is a great thing. You know, yeah, we're resisting these big bankers as they dive into their arms. And now... 2008 for me was a classic example of how the people got screwed. The people got screwed. They collapsed the market. They confiscate the assets, supposedly lawfully. The district attorneys and the DA's offices all like, nope, nothing to see here. No, we're not going to enforce anything. We're not going to press any charges. You know, no, the banks are too big to fail. So millions and millions of Americans lose their homes, lose their assets, and have to start again with half of their life savings or less. And we watch this harvest go on repeatedly, time after time after time. We're in the middle of another one right now. 
We're going to see it happen again. And fortunately, there is the likes of Nassara. There's the like, you know, the, the White Hats or whoever you call them, whether it's the BRICS nations that come together based on a gold-backed currency or whether it's something different. There's a vote of no confidence, at least in my own opinion, there's a vote of no confidence in the bankers and their model and their constant attempt to control everyone and everything. Same intelligence that I saw at the bank building of the meeting of Patriot Americans just expressing their truth, I think inside of all of us, we know the truth, and we know when we're given given a snow job. And I think there comes a, a bull meter in each of us where you go, you know what? I don't think I can swallow this anymore. Something's not right. Can't figure it out, but I'm not going to get the jab. No. And this mask thing, why is it I'm, It's hard to breathe when I wear one of these things? I don't really think this is good for my health. You know, I think people are awakening to the possibility that things aren't going in the right direction. This is David Hurtler. What really happened to me, we joined the Republic in 2010. We would meet in central Wisconsin maybe every quarter or so, and we would have a big meeting and so forth. And one of the representatives said he was in an argument with the big representatives concerning who should be running the republic. Should they be all Christians? Or then they would argue and say, no, you have to take different religions into the republic. Well, we lost, you probably know about this, we lost a bunch of people, around September 23rd, 2017, there was this constellation in the sky. There's a, a woman and her man-child and a serpent, which happened on the 23rd. Well, the next day, these people were gone. These people left. And I'm sitting with Gene. I'm sitting in the living room, and I got the laptop open, and all of a sudden, I wasn't even looking for what happened was David Barton. I don't know how, I don't even know how it was on the screen, but I found out the Declaration of Independence. I found out what the laws of nature and of nature's God imply. I got it from Blackstone's commentaries in 1766 and what he created and the 66 books in the canon of scripture. And I was calling the head honchos every other week and giving them quotes of founding fathers. And then they would say, no, no, we have to have different religions be involved in the republic. And I said, you guys are coming against, you guys are coming against this quote. You guys are coming against that quote. You guys are coming. And so David Barton explained and showed it to us. And from that point on, that would have been September 24, 2017. I give all the credit to God because I wasn't looking for this. It just showed up on my laptop, and David Barton gave us some more education, and we shared it with uh, with Congress. So th this is this is really this is this is just really amazing. So I, ever since then, we've been going full full bore with the word of God. We've been going full bore. You know what? Noah Webster said it this way. He said, the Republic is a commonwealth. It's a Christian commonwealth. It's the state in which the exercise 
of the sovereign powers lodged in representatives elected by the people. In modern usage, it differs from democracy or democratic state, where the people exercise the power of sovereignty in person. It's an honor to be on this program with you, Mr. Zulaga, and with all you guys that are on this program tonight. You know, David is talking about, so when the original people that had come together and had re-inhabited the original American Republic that our founding fathers created in 2010, there were a scenario of things that happened going along up to what David talked about in 2017, where there was not a real clarity that the American Republic was created based on uh, a biblical foundation. So really, this came by revelation to us, and it's only progressed as we've continued to dig we would find old out-of-print vintage books and print them out because they weren't available online and put them in binders and we would read volumes and volumes. And it became very clear to us that what we have today is nothing like what began with the pilgrims and the Puritans and then going forward to the founding fathers, you know, another 150 years later. And when we learned the story of what happened and how it was lost, we came to understand that the leaders that we had in the Republic at that time, when we didn't have our founding moorings in place, and they kept talking about the Constitution, but they didn't talk about the Declaration of Independence. And what we heard in the recording of President Turner this evening, he had it. He understood that the Declaration of Independence, the founding document, that the birth certificate, if you will, of our nation, that mentions the Creator four times as nature's God, the Creator, the Supreme Judge of the world, divine providence. It also sets the name of our law form, which is the laws of nature and of nature's God. And the laws of nature is the Creator's will and how his universe is to operate, thinking of the immutable laws of the sciences. And then nature's God is the divine revealed word of God, the Holy Bible. That's moral law. And this is not religious. It's governmental, where people get freaked out on, oh, religion. No, this is governmental. We know what our law form is supposed to be. And the Constitution answers the Declaration. And you cannot separate those two documents because they go hand in hand. Like Abraham Lincoln said, you know, the apples of gold framed in silver. The apples of gold is the Declaration of Independence, and the frames of silver is the Constitution. So the Constitution must follow the Declaration. We must understand that we have a a biblical Christian foundation, and we lost it around 1900, in the very first decade of the 1900s, in the, de- in the progressive era, the Luciferians had infiltrated during the Reconstruction era of the Civil War years, and they progressively moved forward. And in the early 1900s, they used the method of gradualism, where what had been taught in the schools and from the pulpit for the first 300 years of our nation they began to remove. They got into the education system, they got into the seminaries, and they removed our biblical foundation, and they would replace it with socialism. So by the time we got to World War II, 
they weren't learning it. So we're looking at how did we lose it? Well, when our founding fathers, they were not able to correct all men were created equal. What was done to the Native Americans, what was done to the to the black people in all men created equal, the door got shut. They tried, but there was already a slave power in the South that, you know, the devil had his foot in the door, held it open. And how does how does God the Father judge the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation? So it the judgment Amen. began in the Civil War era. It went forward for four generations. That's us, the baby boomer generation. And when the supreme judge of the world, who's acknowledged in the Declaration of Independence, gave sentence, a sentence is only for a period of time. That period of time has now ended with our generation. And it is time to restore God's government on the earth, which is the American Republic, which is the city upon a hill, which is the light to the nation. One more thing that I want to say is the early Americans, it's very set in the early writings of America, where they referred to America as the American Israel, the American vine. It, it was the New Testament Israel, if you were, and they understood that. And they looked at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 as for them, that where the word came out of Jerusalem, the law came out of Zion or the American Israel, and they knew that they had God's government. And the other nations of the earth know it. it. The American people don't because it was stolen for us. And the other nations of the earth are waiting on the American people to awaken and get their history back because our history is our heritage. And if we don't have our true history, we don't have our heritage. One last thing. Thomas Jefferson said, educate and inform the whole mass of people. They are the only sure reliance for the preservation of our liberty. And as all governments come from religion, that's another thing we learned through all the vintage material that we've read. The American Republic was founded on the Christian religion, the religion of liberty. Liberty comes from Christ. Liberty comes from Biblical Christianity. The reason America was the greatest nation in the world was because they went by the laws of the Bible and the teachings of Christ. Gene, your spot on what we have lost. I want to go back to someone who was referring to David Barton earlier. David Barton has the largest library of original documents of anywhere in the country outside of, of the Library of Congress. And Understanding our founders' original intent, substantiating and proving that we are a biblically-based nation, that we are absolutely bound by nature's law and nature's God, that our founders never in a million years thought that we would get to the level we are now where we have this religion of communism and atheism and no God being the religion in our nation. You know, Thomas Jefferson was said, oh yeah, Thomas Jefferson said there should be a separation of church and state, you know, and they, they cite a letter he wrote to the Danbury Baptists. What they fail to kind of comment about is, where was Thomas Jefferson during the development of the Constitution? 
I don't recognize his writings in the Constitution, certainly in the Declaration of Independence, but he was in Europe during the, the writing of the Constitution. So they tried to, to twist history to say, oh, Thomas Jefferson put it in the Constitution that there's a separation of church and state. But the truth of it is, is what the each colony uniquely wanted to worship God as they saw it to be true. And in England, the Church of England dictated what God should look like and how you should serve him and how you should believe him. And I think what's so exciting to me about the journey to the culmination of the representative form of government in America is that if you look at what happened in Europe, once the Bible was printed in English, then it was like, okay, the early Bible writers got hung, they got burned, and gradually it evolved to the point of, okay, we're going to have a Bible chained to the pulpit in the, in the Church of England, and it was okay to read it from there. But the underground was producing Bibles to be, put the Word of God in the hands of people. Before that, the hierarchy of government was God, king, people. You had the, the king gave you your freedom. The king gave you your privileges. And what happened once the Bible was disseminated into the hands of the people is the people started to learn, wait a minute, here's what God says about government. Oh, look what happened at the time of Moses when Jethro said, Moses, you're going to tire yourself out if you try to, to judge every single case. You need to appoint groups of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. And, and, and you just take the, the tough cases, you know, you don't be doing this. So we start to see in scripture and, and there's also multiple, multiple things in scripture that verify that our form of, and in our constitution that verify our form of government. One very simple one is we have three branches of government. Well, God says, I am your priest, I am your king, and I am your judge. Well, what do we have? That represents the legislative, the, the king being the administrative, which is the president, and the judicial being the judge. We see the very aspect and nature of God in our form of government. And so... What I'm trying to say is that the original, seeking out original documents, and I'm sure lots of you know Wall Builders and David Barton's website. Some of his books are fabulous. So is the work of Cleon Skousen on the National Center for Constitutional Studies.net. Cleon Skousen was an FBI agent back in his day. He spent 40 years researching the original writings of the founders. He had a secretary and a whole team of researchers. You know, this is a Christian nation and, and God's law and God's word and we're godly people. It's all true. There's one problem, that there is a false Christianity and there is a true Christianity. In these last days, there's going to be a strong delusion. The Bible even says that, you know, the whole world will wonder after the beast. And, you know, we know the, the sayings of Jesus that many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, you know, we were Christians. I called myself a Christian. We went to church. We cast out demons. We did great things. So this concept of Christianity, uh, it, it's a little bit of a problem to, to everything that, that, that Gene was saying. I agree with Gene 100%. The little bitty problem we have is that the 
New World Order, One World Government agenda that I'm always harping on is precisely going to use Christianity as their one world religion, and they're going to use a false version of it. That, and Mike, and, and it, it kind of goes hand in hand to the point that the gentleman was just kind of alluding to when he indicated, oh, yeah, well, you know, you know, all all the different Christians, you know, have their own truth and they all want to, you know, have their own way. That's a little bit problematic, too, because actually God's word is the truth, albeit it, it's fair to say, you know, our forefathers, right, Thomas Jefferson, right, a lot of them, they, they understood, spoke, read, could argue in Greek. In Hebrew, they 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 knew the original language, so it's it's very difficult for people now to even know what the truth is. Frankly, that's why ultimately it's those who seek the truth with all their heart, mind, and soul are the ones that will find it. Others are going to be given that strong delusion because God puts it out there to prove who is who. So the one of the problems we're going to have is that there is going to be a an appearance of Christianity, and it's not going to be God's church. Thank you, Mike, for bringing up this point. If you notice. I, when I said Christianity, I said biblical Christianity, and I learned this years ago from David Barton, because Christianity has, if you could use the word evolved through the years to where, like you look at the denominations, and some of them are hosting what the Word of God calls abomination, where that's not true Christianity. So it's important to differentiate today that there is biblical Christianity Today, the definition out there is anything goes, and if you want those that in, involve in what is not natural, what the laws of nature would regard as one man, one woman, and other things, that is not true Christianity. So it's important to differentiate between biblical Christianity, and there's a difference between the bride and what we know as the church. So I just wanted to interject that. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jean. I appreciate that, and, and I hope you didn't take me as uh, attacking you, but I, I totally agree with everything you were saying. I, I wasn't no by any means um, in, no. in opposition to you whatsoever. I, would, I just wanted to point that out. For point. the benefit of whoever it will benefit, that that's a reality that we're going to be facing. Uh, and again, ultimately, the answer is those who seek the truth through the Bible, the, the true words, the true interpretation, the true law, the true meaning of the law, the true meaning of God's word, um, because going to, again to the point that was made by the gentleman, you know, the notion that, well, yeah, you know, uh, we're all Christians, but different Christians have their different truths. Well, that just brings in, well, hey, we're a Christian truth and we have a transvestite preacher because this is our truth and we're still Christians. And, and I'm, I'm using, and that's even an extreme example. There's actually numerous examples. We can get into, you know, I don't want to get into a theological debate by any means, but the fact that there are doctrinal differences well, doctrines do correlate to truth, you know. Um, so only seekers of truth are going to really find the truth. And, and that's not for me to judge. Obviously, that's between each person and, and God. I just wanted to point it out that that's an issue um, for, again, whoever it may be a benefit to know that. Mike, I've got a corollary for you. And I think it's important spiritually for us all to take into consideration. There is so much information we are being bombarded with. They asked a, a Secret Service agent, how do you determine, how do you train people who look at counterfeit $100 bills? How do you train them so that they're able to spot it in an instant? And they said, we only have them study the real thing. So they don't have them go looking at all of the uh, all of what is fake and deceiving and, and wrong. They have them just study what is 
supposedly, and I know it's a Federal Reserve note, but my, my point being that same with the Bible. You keep, you know, we search for the Lord with all, all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That means we keep our attention focused on what he's saying in his word, what he's prompting us in our prayer time, and what we are what we are seeing as the authentic, real deal. You know, I came out of, out of Catholicism. Well, look at this hope we have today. I mean, that man is a total abomination. You talk about the one world church, that's where it's coming from. But God has drawn me gently to his heart. He's, he's drawn me gently to a born again, to being born again, to getting thirsty and really wanting to know his word, not for any other reason because I get closer to him. So you're spot on with the idea of discerning the truth from the error. And, and I think my corollary is study the real deal. Hallelujah. Amen to that. It's interesting how uh, God's taken us down different paths in our lives and, and what he's put us through and where he's placed us and the knowledge, experience uh, that he's given us. So that helps to develop our perspective. I appreciate this conversation. Wisdom comes from many minds and comparing perspectives. And So here we are, Robert. So with all of that behind you, where do you think we're headed? Because I know that David Hurtner and Gene have a book coming out, God's Solution for America. So let's hear your version, and then we'll do a quick preview before we end this. Uh, I'm really glad to hear all of you speaking, the people who have spoken so learnedly on the principles of the Constitution, the founding, natural law. I really enjoyed, I believe, Gene, what she had to say. But as we speak of the rejection of natural law and fundamental and constitutional principles, I'd like to call your attention to today's ceremony in the White House of the bizarro world degeneracy that has been given the anodyne and utterly contradictory name, the Respect for Marriage Act, which was an openly, which has been openly acknowledged by its authors to be a preemptive strike against a possible SCOTUS overruling Obergefell versus Hodges, which legalized homosexual marriage nationwide, and after musings by Clarence Thomas that it was subject to review. And I'd like to read to you a part of the bill, which is H.R. 8404, which was a House Representative bill, passed the Senate, I think there's a 16-something, and today uh, the degenerate corruptocrat in the White House signed into law. And it says it provides statutory authority for same-sex and interracial marriages Repealing provisions that define marriage between a man and a woman, the legislation also repeals and replaces provisions that do not require states recognize same-sex marriages from other states with provisions that prohibit the denial of full faith and credit or any right or claim relating to out-of-state marriages on the basis of sex, race, ethnicity, or natural origin, and allows the Department of Justice to bring a civil action and Establish the right of action for violations. Now, folks, what this means is, is that whatever the most radical definition, the craziest lunatic state in a nation comes up with regard to marriage, which I guess would include marrying your cat, it'll apply to all 50 states. Now, folks, the Supreme Court ruled in Hobbs, the Hobbs v. Jackson decision, that the federal government has no role in deciding abortion policy in any of the states. Obergefell says, again, Constitution 
completely aside about marriage. Obergefell said, yes, it is a fundamental constitutional right that if you have marriage in any state, you got to allow it for same-sex marriage, too. Now, if the Supreme Court was to re revisit Obergefell and say that Obergefell was a, a stare decisis precedent that was unconstitutionally decided and then reverse it, then what is this Respect for Marriage Act supposed to be? You cannot do something that is unconstitutional with a legislative act by Congress. But I guess that won't make any difference to these people. They're just going to perceive what they're doing because they say, well, nobody's opposed to homosexual marriage anymore. So, therefore, it's a done deal. It's amazing what we're living through today, but here we are. Well, Sarge, do those people represent you? Does that law represent your feelings? Obviously not, huh? Well, many laws don't represent my feelings, but they're patently unconstitutional. I mean, I, you, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, every law that you know I, I'm not in, on board with, I have to admit, is a bad law, but it's but it's constitutional. In this case, not only is it bad, not only is it destructive to the family, it is also unconstitutional. It's both. It's hideous law, so, and it's destructive to the nation. It's destructive to the family. Everything about it, everything about it, but by codifying the Obergefell decision, which, again, is unconstitutional. I don't care what they say. I know what it is. And, and like we've been talking today, a complete rejection of the founding principles, complete rejection, and it's going to destroy marriage. It's not respecting marriage. It's destroying marriage. Marriage is going to be is a meaningless term if it does not, at its core and at its principle, in principle, Define the relationship of a man and woman to the possibility of procreation. Otherwise, there's no need for marriage. Yeah. Well, you know, Sarge, we've been talking for years, and I really respect you. And I ask you a question, you know, and this whole conversation we've been having for years and years is like information waterboarding. When have we had enough? And once we've had enough, what are we going to do? And that's what restoring our republic is all about. So where do we go from here? Where's the line? What do they say in the Declaration? Uh, a train of usurpations and what What was the other word? I guess we could add this to the list. So, I mean, it just seems to me like apparently many of the American people are prepared to accept it one after the other. And this Biden administration promises more. They're not. He said he's not going to change anything. Remember? After the midterm? Yeah. <laughs> he's going to double down. So we can, I can promise you. We're going to see much more of this. I think we're going to get an accelerated round of it in this lame duck Congress before the Republicans take effect. But left off, it took 12 Republicans in the Senate to end the filibuster on the Suspect for Marriage Act. And they went along with it. Yeah. Well, it kind of brings us to my closing point. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You know, Robert, back to what you brought to the table, what Sarge has brought and others. You know, we've learned over these years. We've become more enlightened. We've become better educated. We understand more and more that uh, something's broken with this system. I know you did a Truth and Freedom Conference or something like that, associated with that, with Womack Ministries, and many leaders spoke out in that conference. And, and where, do you, where do you think the general feeling is? I mean, where's the line? Are the people ready to step up and be who they say they are? Well, let's, let's just look at the fact that the reason we're here tonight at this conversation is because we know the difference. 
We know what history was when we grew up. We know what right and wrong in a moral society kind of looked like, kind of had an idea of self-governance and representation, uh, although it was skewed even at our, when we were growing up. But we knew more than the generations behind us. And I said for years, all you got to do is get through our generation, and this war is over. So, and my perspective, this is the hill that you and I and our generation and the people that are listening to this call, this is the hill that we and our prosperity live or die on. And I'll go out a little bit in sci-fi and tell you I mean it because COVID, all these shots, all this stuff, the mark of the beast, transhumanism is their agenda. And there's a guy that's trying to patent artificial wombs that can reproduce 30,000 people a year artificially. And they're trying to kill off the population. Now, that don't make sense, does it? So <laughs> we got to figure out what we're going to do here, guys, because this is our hill. And we don't have much time left to figure it out. Because I'll guarantee you, the younger generation isn't going to do it for us. And if they do, we ain't going to like it. My closing thoughts are, I would say if you ask me where I see us going, I think the first and most important rule we have to each apply to our own life is to guard our peace. Because the Prince of Peace dwells inside of us. And from that relationship comes the wisdom to know where to go. We're told that he left us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide us in all wisdom and in all truth. We're in an age where very likely we could see it that we have to give up our life for what we believe in. Other generations have done it before us. What's to stop that being the call upon our our lives in this generation? Now, maybe Jesus will come first. I, I'm not a, you know, I don't study prophecy. But I do know he said to occupy until I come. And so in that occupying place, I have to keep my compass true. And he tells me to guard my peace. He tells me to spend time in his word. I was reading in Second Chronicles today, and it just struck me. I was reading about in Chronicles it goes through Solomon's building of the temple and, and his doing everything that uh, – you know, God blessed him, and yet he went astray. He had all these wives, and they were leading him into distractions. But God made a promise to David. And then you see it go from Solomon's son to the next son, and then the next grandson, or all, however the whole generation went through. And and these guys did not love God. They worshiped Baal. They did all of these things with the Astra and all of these other abominations. But God made a promise to his people. So I was reading in the apostasy of Joash, who was just one of the, the parade of kings, and he, and he goes, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. How different is that to the age we live in now, where the town criers, the members in the republic, those who are trying to hold fast to the principles of moral and religious principles that, that John Adams tells us is, the sort of foundation we need for this form of government. They're not listening. And and he went on, I think right. Zechariah was a priest, and he, and he goes, Thus says the Lord, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? 
because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. And I look at that, you know, we have people forsaking the Lord. How can they possibly prosper? They're going to run a season. I think it's in Psalm 37 says, hey, don't get all worked up about the about evil. They're going to come like grass and they're going to come and bloom or a beautiful flower. They're going to bloom and then they're going to wither away and die. And you're going to wonder where they went. And to me, that's the type of peace that I'm called to in the middle of this battle to recognize I will speak my truth. I'll speak it clearly. I'll, I'm not afraid to speak it. I'll, I will contend with the with the, the biggest demon out there. But I know where I stand in the Lord, and I, I proclaim that. Their ears don't like to hear it. So I can't be worried about where what's going to happen to them. The very fact that they heard the word of God, eventually that axe will fall, the judgment will fall on them. Every soul's got an opportunity to turn and, and listen to the living God, but they don't have to. It's a free will deal. So I have to guard my peace. I have to continue on purpose with what God's called me to in the halls of government, in the halls of liberty, in the halls of education, to proclaim the good news. Proclaim it and recognize, hey, if you don't like the life you're living, if you're unhappy in where you're at, turn and look at the principles of truth, the principles of liberty. They come from God's word. They come from our founding documents in our nation. Turn. And I believe the day will come when we get that opportunity to do that, and it will either be before the coming of Christ or it will be when Jesus comes again and we serve in his government. Either way, I'm real happy about that. Through this conversation we've had tonight, the Holy Spirit's been telling me to repeat that testimony definition. We had a little teaching on testimony. The testimony is the power of the spoken word in action, if I can just put it in every day's. And the Holy Spirit showed me, said, you know, as we've lost our government, uh, our representative republic, our representation as a free people, that we've lost our testimony at churches. We don't have testimony night in churches anymore. And once you understand the power of testimony and what testimony means in the, in the original uh, writing of testimony word, it also speaks forth. Because it's happened in the past, it will happen in the future. Because this is God's law. These are the laws of nature, and of nature's God in action. And so not only do we give praise in uh, our testimony of God's word in action, but we're also seeking that power forward. As Robert has testified, as Gene and David and, and all of us here, we all have power in our words, just like back in the in the bank days, uh, Robert. The testimony. The testimony of the truth. And that's why we're here. That's what we're trying to share. And the truth is repugnant to a lot of people, but the Holy Spirit and that individual are now in a battle, and they get to work it out. I'm just a planter of the seed. But it's a testimony, the light that God has called us to come to. If you can add to that, uh, Mark, go ahead. Yeah, um, I know Sharon was talking about a testimony here. She was talking about, she said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing basically, but she said, coming into agreement with something other than what God has for us is like shaking hands with the demonic. So you got to be careful what you agree to and what you remain silent on 
something that you don't want to speak up about, but you know it's wrong. In some circles, that means you're coming into agreement with it. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today. Be with us as we leave this meeting. Help us walk with confidence and lead us with your truth. As we move forward, praise you and live our lives in this world. Accept our gratitude and allow us to depart from this place with a full mind and soul as we go to various destinations. All these things we pray through your mighty Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father, God, keep us together with your peace and let us not be afraid, for your light is eternal. With this closing prayer, we thank you for your daily provisions and the life you have granted us. Listen to your children, Lord, and let your peace and sacrifice be known to all. All our prayers are offered in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. Who's next? Um, Robert Zuluaga, it's awesome to have you on the call this evening, and you're absolutely correct. It's Psalms 37, if I may read it. Uh, do not inflame yourself with evildoers, and do not be <laughs> against workers of perversity, as they soon wither like grass and fade like green herbs. I yield. Thank you, Robert. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure to be on the call, and uh, God willing, uh, we'll do this another on another occasion. Yeah, God bless each one of you. Um, thank you all for the brotherhood, the sisterhood. We're, we are definitely in the time of the shaking, the time of the sifting, the wheats and the tares, the good fruit and the, and the bad fruit. That's what's happening. And a lot of the brothers here have made good points that we have to be willing to stand up for what we believe in and speak out against that which we know is evil and in and, and the name of God for God's honor. Um, Sarge, great points. Um, the points he made, those are abominations unto God. They uh, they are detestable realities to God. And we need to keep standing for uh, truth and righteousness. So God bless everybody. And uh, thanks again for your great call, Joseph. You all have a great night. Thank you to everybody that participated on the call here tonight. Appreciate it. God bless our republic, everybody. Be safe and see you next Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Black Talk Radio.